This is the Return to Order Moment with Edwin Benson. Bringing you insights, analysis, and information for a culture in crisis. God's law protects the environment. Government coercion makes it worse. The international quote-unquote green movement only knows one strategy. It proposes to give all economic power to national governments. Their mistaken premise is that those governments will institute policies that will produce clean air, clean water, and prevent more species from extinction. Such a plan is bound to fail, and when it does, the Greens will urge that the process be turned over to the United Nations, which will bungle it even worse. Such an attitude ignores the fact that totalitarian nations have terrible environmental records. Communist China may be the worst polluted nation on Earth. Perhaps the worst environmental crisis in the history happened when nuclear power plant at Chernobyl released massive amounts of nuclear radiation into the atmosphere. How did the Soviet Union respond? Did they call the world's best nuclear scientists in to advise them? No, they tried to cover up the incident and hide the hazard from the rest of the world. It would come as a surprise to modern-day environmentalists that the Bible and natural law provide a better solution. Mr. James Bascom discussed this in his essay, True Environmental Stewardship, printed in the September-October 2019 issue of Crusade Magazine. Many North Americans, Latin Americans, and Europeans are justifiably skeptical of the global environmental movement. It shows many of the characteristics, not of a serious scientific movement, but of a political ideology, or even a quasi-religious sect. The overwhelming majority of its leaders and foot soldiers espouse a not-so-hidden socialist ideology that seeks to dismantle our economic system. Meteorologists fail to accurately predict the weather two weeks into the future, yet somehow we are asked to sacrifice our entire way of life thanks to the prediction of a tenuous commuter model that projects two decades into the future. The science is quote-unquote settled, we are told. We must accept global warming as an act of faith. Debate is not only wrong, but dangerous. Opponents to the movement, no matter how scientifically rigorous their arguments may be, are labeled deniers, reminiscent of Holocaust deniers. The New York Times recently published a cartoon depicting the stabbing of global warming skeptics. Robert Kennedy declared the skeptics should be sent to trial at the International Criminal Court of Justice in The Hague, Netherlands. Sheldon Whitehouse, Democratic senator from Rhode Island, supports using RICO laws to prosecute climate skeptics. Thousands of scientists have suffered persecution, loss of funding, or even the loss of their jobs for daring to expose holes in the man-made global warming theory. Many of the same Christians who abhor the environmental movement also have a genuine concern for fulfilling mankind's obligation given to him by God in the book of Genesis to be proper stewards of the earth. Is it possible to care for the earth without being contaminated by the socialist principles of the environmental movement? What would such a stewardship look like? 1. It would declare God, not the earth, as the supreme being. 
most of the environmental movement's members explicitly or implicitly practice a pantheistic worldview. For them, the earth and all living things contain a spark of the divinity and therefore have no final purpose outside of themselves. This naturally leads to a radical egalitarianism between man, animals, plants, and inanimate manner. If all things are equally God, no being has any greater dignity or importance or rights than the other. In his 1992 book, Earth in the Balance, Al Gore praised these pre-Christian pantheistic concepts of the earth. Consider this statement by Mikhail Gorbachev, founder of the Green Cross International and a leading environmental activist. Quote, I believe in the cosmos. All of us are linked to the cosmos. Look at the sun. If there is no sun, then we cannot exist. So nature is my God. To me, nature is sacred. Trees are my temples, and forests are my cathedrals. Unquote. True Christian stewardship of the earth must recognize God as the supreme being, distinct from his creation. He reigns sovereign over the universe, and his creatures attain their final end in him, not in themselves. Every animal, plant, mineral, and human being reflects a unique and beautiful quality of an infinite God. It is through this beauty and order that mankind can better know, love, and serve Him. 2. It would recognize mankind as the king, not the predator of creation. The natural consequence of this pantheistic, neo-pagan worldview is a violent disdain for mankind. Environmentalists see man as a suicidal predator of the earth, a being whose civilization and technology does nothing but harm himself, the earth, and all the creatures on it. This view is expressed well by the Club of Rome, a European pro-environmentalist think tank. Quote, in searching for a common enemy against whom we can unite, we came up with the idea that pollution, the threat of global warming, water shortages, famine, and the like would fit the bill. In their totality and their interactions, these phenomena do constitute a common threat which must be confronted by everyone together. But in designating these dangers as the enemy, we fall into the trap, which we have already warned readers about, namely, mistaking symptoms for causes. All these dangers are caused by human intervention and natural processes, and it is only through changed attitudes and behaviors that they can be overcome. The real enemy, then, is humanity itself." Unquote. Christian stewardship recognizes that God created the physical universe in a hierarchical way. God gave mankind an order to, quote, increase and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fishes of the sea and the fowls of the air and all living creatures that move upon the earth. Genesis chapter 1 verse 28. Man is not equal to the animals and the plants. Rather, he has a truly privileged status in the physical creation. 
animals and plants exist to serve man's needs, not the other way around. 3. It would recognize man as a partner of God in the building of Christian civilization. The environmentalist movement tries its best to stifle human use of natural resources as best it can, whether it be opposing the construction of a dam in California, closing a coal mine in West Virginia, fighting agricultural development in Brazil, or protesting the death of Cecil the Lion. Christian stewardship recognizes that resources were put in the earth by God for man's use. He has every right to use them for his physical necessities. In an organic Christian society, the earth's resources do not provide merely for individual men's bodily needs. Rather, they are the raw materials that man, if he corresponds to God's grace— can and should use to construct a marvelous Christian civilization. The great works produced by Christian Europe in the Middle Ages, its towering Gothic cathedrals, mighty castles, stained glass and sculpture, just to name a few, were built using the earth's resources to give glory to God in everything. Dante Alighieri called the works of man, quote, the grandchildren of God, unquote. When man utilizes the raw stone, sand, wood, and metal of the earth to construct these works, they give God far greater glory than merely sitting unused for the sake of environmental quote-unquote sustainability. Who could argue that the sand, stone, and metal used to make the breathtaking stained glass of the Saint-Chapelle in Paris would have been better left in the ground? or that the trees felled to build Christopher Columbus's fleet be left untouched to die and rot in the forest. A big difference between our industrialized society and an organic Christian society is the absence of what John Horvat, in Return to Order, calls the sublime. He defines the sublime as, quote, Those things that are of such excellence that they provoke great emotion, causing men to be overawed by their magnificence or grandeur. The sublime might be found in extraordinary panoramas, works of art, ideas, virtuous acts, or the heroic feats of great men, unquote. When men cooperate with God's grace and utilize the earth's resources to produce sublime works, they not only give glory to God, but also give greater meaning to our lives and satisfy some of the deepest longings of the soul. 4. It would see an intelligent mankind as the key, not the obstacle, to environmental stewardship. Environmentalists generally see resources as finite, resource scarcity an insurmountable problem, and pollution an inevitable consequence of development. The only way to escape these problems is not to solve them, but to avoid them by clamping down on development, reducing the human population, and reducing individual consumption. They ignore the role of man's intelligence in solving these environmental problems. Thomas Malthus, the founding father of population control, wrote in his 1798 work, an essay on the principle of population, that population should be kept in check, since its growth would inevitably outstrip food production. 
Paul Ehrlich, in his 1968 book, The Population Bomb, predicted that the population explosion would lead to mass starvation by 1980. Both these philosophers were proven spectacularly wrong by the massive increases in agricultural production made possible by human ingenuity. Many people are unaware that air, rivers, and soil of the United States are the cleanest they have been in over a hundred years and are getting cleaner each year. This has largely been the result of engineering solutions that replace dirty industrial processes with clean ones and government regulations that, until recently, respected economic growth while cleaning up the environment. 5. It would respect private property rights. Christian stewardship must respect the natural law, the law that God has written on the hearts of all men. First among these laws, at least as they deal with land use and environmentalism, is the right of private property. The environmental movement, with its ideological roots in socialism, generally works to weaken or destroy the rights of individuals to own private property or dispose of it as they see fit. This can be seen in the draconian animal rights regulations that block California farmers from farming their own property upon discovery of some obscure field mouse, or in the water regulations that prevent Colorado ranchers from grazing their cattle near rivers on their ranches, or in the delay or cancellation of infrastructure projects such as the Keystone XL pipeline. Factory owners must spend great sums of money to satisfy environmental regulations, and homeowners in many areas are banned from clearing trees, building structures, or substantially modifying their own land for the sake of quote-unquote environmental protection. Only in a society that protects property rights is the environment truly protected. Socialist or communist regimes where private property was banned or severely curtailed, such as the former Soviet Union, China, and Cuba, are today basket cases of environmental degradation. It is simple common sense that unless a man has a personal stake in a property through ownership, it will be abused and neglected. In an organic Christian society, the state would work in tandem with landowners to solve environmental problems without encroaching on property rights. 6. It would eschew socialist, supranatural, centrally planned, global, quote-unquote, solutions. Problems of air and water pollution, land use and resource scarcity— are almost always regional or local problems, which can only be properly addressed by the local government and citizenry. An attempt to impose a one-size-fits-all, quote-unquote, solution on an entire nation, much less the whole world, cannot possibly address each and every local problem and unique need. National or international solutions tend to transfer control over resources from the local population to faceless bureaucrats in a far-off capital who have likely never set foot on the very soil they are regulating. Moreover, the purported crisis that such international agreements are supposed to solve, 
man-made climate change, is itself a dubious scientific theory. And behind the green curtain lies a not-so-hidden political ideology. Canadian writer and environmental activist Naomi Klein explains in her 2014 book, This Changes Everything, Capitalism versus the Climate. Quote, As we remake our economies to stay within our global carbon budget, we need to see less consumption, less trade, less private investment. Implicit in all of this is a great deal more redistribution, so that more of us can live comfortably within the planet's capacity. Which is precisely why, when climate change deniers claim that global warming is a plot to distribute wealth, it is not only because they are paranoid, it is also because they are paying attention. Unquote. Conscientious Catholics must do everything to oppose the false solutions of the Paris Summit. In addition, the false dichotomy implicit within the great environmental debate, green socialism on one side versus environmental unconcern on the other, must be rejected. It is only in a truly organic Christian society as described in Return to Order, where the material creation is protected, used, and directed toward its proper end. In the two years since Mr. Baskin wrote the last article, newly inaugurated President Joe Biden pledged, in the name of the United States, a deeper allegiance to the goals of the Paris Climate Accords. Is Mr. Biden acting on his own convictions? a desire to restore the failed policies of the Obama administration, or following the dictates of the radical wing of his party. Additionally, radical members of Congress are bringing back the quote-unquote Green New Deal, which got lost in the coronavirus crisis. This grab bag of failed old ideas and impractical new ones is gaining support in a new Congress in which the Democrats control both houses. Many of those ideas are built around the idea of de-development, in effect, turning back the clock to a pre-industrial age. Two supporters of the Green New Deal and other radical environmentalists, de-development is the way back to a cleaner world. Their simplistic logic is that machines that pollute must be destroyed. Mr. John Horvath discussed this connection in his essay, How the Coronavirus Shutdown Favors Green De-Development. As the debate rages over stay-at-home orders during the coronavirus pandemic, most conservative opposition has focused on the damage to the economy, excessive government surveillance, or the massive increase in government debt. These are very valid and important concerns. But the coronavirus's most enduring damage will not be a lower GDP, higher debt, or even lost jobs. The shutdown is a valuable opportunity for radical Greens to impose what they have been dreaming about for decades— Permanent quote unquote de development. For radical Greens, the final goal of environmentalism is not to eliminate pollution, build solar panels, or reduce carbon dioxide emissions. The real cause of our ecological quote unquote crisis is Western Christian civilization. It produced our hierarchical relationship with the natural world and our free market economy based on private property. Our environmental problems, therefore, are not economic or social or political, but quote-unquote civilizational. 
As Greta Thunberg has said, to fight climate change, we need, quote, unquote, system change. Quote, the climate justice fight here in the U.S. and around the world is not just a fight against the biggest ecological crisis of all time, explains Maya Yoshitani, executive director of the Asian Pacific Environmental Network. It is a fight for a new economy, a new energy system, a new democracy, a new relationship to the planet and to each other. We are bound together in this battle, not just for a reduction in the parts per million of CO2, but to transform our economies and rebuild a world that we want today. Unquote. The solution they propose is called de-development, the dismantling of our modern economy based on profit and private property. In their 1973 book, Human Ecology, Problems and Solutions, John Holdren and Paul Ehrlich explain, quote, A massive campaign must be launched to restore a high-quality environment in North America and to de-develop the United States. De-development means bringing our economic system, especially patterns of consumption, into line with the realities of ecology and the global resource situation. The need for de-development presents our economists with a major challenge. They must design a stable, low-consumption economy in which there is a much more equitable distribution of wealth than in the present one. Redistribution of wealth, both within and among nations, is absolutely essential if a decent life is to be provided for every human being, unquote. Evo de Boer, who held the top climate position at the United Nations until 2009, remarked that, quote, The only way we can achieve a two-degree temperature reduction goal is to shut down the whole global economy, unquote. Kevin Anderson and Alice Bowes-Larkin of the Tyndall Center for Climate Change Research in the UK and two of Britain's top climate change activists stated that emissions cuts of 10% or so, as advocated by many environmental groups, are not nearly enough. We must implement, quote, radical and immediate degrowth strategies in the United States, European Union, and other wealthy nations, unquote. When the United Nations published its new Sustainable Development Goals in 2015, many radical Greens attacked it for not going far enough. Speaking for many, anthropologist Jason Hickel of the London School of Economics affirmed that, quote, growth isn't an option anymore, unquote. The real cause of our environmental crisis is not pollution per se, but the Western model of economic growth based on private property, profit, and free enterprise. Quote, What does this mean for our theory of development? Instead of pushing poorer countries to catch up with rich ones, we should be thinking of ways to get rich countries to catch down to more appropriate levels of development. We should look at societies where people live long and happy lives at relatively low levels of income and consumption as exemplars of efficient living, unquote. The peoples of the Western world need to dismantle their economies and live poorer, more communitarian and more, quote, unquote, sustainable lifestyles. They must sacrifice their cheap, abundant energy and a free enterprise economy to save planet Earth. Not surprisingly, Hickel's model country is communist Cuba, which he regards, quote, 
not as underdeveloped, but rather as appropriately developed, unquote. And make no mistake, they are doing everything in their power to bring that poverty to the West. In February 2019, Democrats in Congress launched the Green New Deal, the most radical green manifesto in decades. Among other things, it seeks to end modern agriculture, phase out hydrocarbon-based energy, and implement a massive state takeover of the economy. Such policies would make food and energy far more expensive, destroy tens of millions of jobs, and quote-unquote, de-develop the United States. Naturally, such radical plans have met with severe pushback. For many years now, the Green Agenda has struggled to win over public opinion. President Trump's 2017 withdrawal from the Paris Climate Agreement, a move widely supported by Americans, dealt the Green Movement a crushing defeat. In Europe, the Gilets Jaunes protest movement erupted, in part as a reaction to fuel taxes imposed by the French government to fulfill its commitments to the Paris Agreement. Attempts to curtail agriculture have also failed. In May 2019, a court decision in the Netherlands, the second largest agricultural exporter in the world, ruled that the country was out of compliance with European Union rules for nitrogen emissions. When the Dutch government tried to force farmers to reduce production in October, protests erupted. Tens of thousands of Dutch farmers drove their tractors into The Hague and other cities, causing massive traffic jams. Polls show that three-fourths of the Dutch population supports the farmers. Or consider last year's global climate strike. In the lead-up to the UN's COP25 Environmental Summit in Chile, green activists organized hundreds of climate marches around the world. Thousands of activists marched in a giant quote-unquote climate strike to push a global Green New Deal. Greta Thunberg, the star of the global green movement, gave a hysterical, apocalyptic speech at the UN's Climate Action Summit in New York. Quote, The eyes of all future generations are upon you, she shouted. If you choose to fail us, I say we will never forgive you. We will not let you get away with this. Right here, right now is where we draw the line. Unquote. It was a primal scream for climate action. Yet public support for radical green policies barely budged. Green activists are frustrated that they cannot push their agenda forward. Most Americans and Europeans simply do not believe that global warming is a threat that requires such radical measures as the Green New Deal. Many others see environmentalism for what it is, a vehicle for communism. The outlook for the radical green agenda was grim. Coronavirus and the subsequent government lockdowns have changed the whole equation. Radical greens are seeing it as the best chance to impose their policies on an unwilling public and break through the impasse. Commenting on the pandemic, Rahm Emanuel, former chief of staff under President Obama, was so bold as to reprise his famous phrase from the 2008 financial crisis. Quote, Never allow a crisis to go to waste. Start planning for the future. 
This has to be the last pandemic that creates an economic depression. We are going to have more pandemics, but this has to be the last economic depression. Unquote. Astrophysicist Martin Lopez Corredoira wrote that, quote, neither Greenpeace nor Greta Thunberg, nor any other individual or collective organization have achieved so much in favor of the health of the planet in such a short time. It is certainly not very good for the economy in general, but it is fantastic for the environment. Oxford University professor Peter Frankopan wrote in the Times of London that the beneficiary of the coronavirus, quote, will be the climate. After all, the world's lungs are already breathing more easily thanks to the collapse of industrial production. Who is to say that this pandemic does not provide a turning point in world history? Unquote. In an editorial, the Manchester Guardian wrote that, quote, mass shutdowns we now experience, likely necessary in a pandemic, could provide a model for imposing harsh actions to curb carbon emissions that activists consider as great or greater threats than the virus itself. Unquote. Former UN climate chief Christiana Figures affirmed that slower economic growth from coronavirus, quote, might be good for the climate. There is less trade, less travel, less commerce. Unquote. U.N. Secretary General Antonio Gutierrez told Scientific American that the coronavirus pandemic is an opportunity, quote, to rebuild the global economy along more sustainable lines, unquote. Pope Francis, arguably the most influential world leader, sees the pandemic as an opportunity to implement the anti-development ideas contained in his encyclical Laudato Si. Coronavirus, he said, is nature, quote, having a fit over man-made environmental damage. The shutdowns are an opportunity to slow down our rate of production and consumption and to move from using and misusing nature to contemplating it, unquote. Vatican News published, then quickly deleted, an article by Father Benedict Mayaki, S.J., titled Coronavirus, Earth's Unlikely Ally, in which he claimed that, quote, the changes in human behavior due to the COVID-19 virus pandemic are yielding unintended benefits to the planet. Earth is healing itself, unquote. Leonardo Boff, the Brazilian liberation theologian and co-author of Laudato Si, wrote in a blog post that the coronavirus is a, quote, retaliation of Gaia for mankind's violence against nature and the profound inequality in human society, unquote. Patriotic citizens have raised concerns about the excessive government shutdowns of the economy, the trillions of dollars in new bailouts, millions of lost jobs, the threat from communist China, and especially the massive increase in government surveillance in the name of quote-unquote public health. These threats are very real, and we must oppose them. But these issues are a means to an end. The final goal is green, quote-unquote, de-development and the destruction of Western Christian civilization. Just ask Greta. This concludes, God's law protects the environment. Government coercion makes it worse. Thank you so much for listening.
Return to Order, of which this podcast is only a part, strives to be a source of light in a dark and disordered world. Your prayers are appreciated. If you have enjoyed this podcast, we ask you to subscribe and give us a five-star rating with the service through which you are listening to it. Increased subscriptions and higher ratings mean that more people will be directed to the Return to Order moment when searching for a new podcast. So, by rating us, you can help Return to Order be more effective. In addition, subscribers gain access to all previous episodes of the Return to Order moment. We would also like to recommend the book which spells out our motivation behind our work. Mr. John Horvath's book, Return to Order, is available as a free download through our website, www.returntoorder.org, or in printed and recorded form through our bookstore. All rights are reserved. Copyright 2021 by the American Society for the Defense of Tradition, Family, and Property, TFP.